better say it, better song for what's on my heart for this morning. Holy Spirit, I believe is here. Let's pray for the youth. Father God, we pray for our young people as they go out. Lord, we're not sending them out because we want them out of our way, because we've got important things to do. We're sending them out because we want them to meet with you this morning. Father, our prayer is your Holy Spirit will fall on you. God, without you, none of this is worth doing. This is just a waste of time if you're not here. If your presence doesn't come, if your Holy Spirit is not amongst us, then Father God, this is really just an absolute waste of time. I know that's not true. I know you're here. And so we pray. We pray in line with your will and purpose, and therefore, Lord, we have faith that it will happen. Meet our young people. Pour your spirit upon them. doesn't matter what age they are. We ask you to pour your spirit upon them and to raise up mighty men and women for you. And that they will be mighty young people for you. And we ask that in your name. Father God, speak to us this morning. Speak to us this morning, Lord. Let us hear your heart for us as your people. Father, you called us, you have planted us, you have placed us in this place, in Harlow, in Harefield, in this place. And Father God, without you, we cannot fulfill all that you have ordained for us to do. And so we cry to you this morning, meet with your people. And pour out your spirit upon us, I pray. Let's just go back to that song we were singing. I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. <laughs> Are you? Are you? I don't say that as a condemnatory comment. I want to say it as a comment of God challenging us for more. And I believe we are. But I believe that life is battering us. And sometimes we lose the focus of being desperate for you. And that's really, I think, that sort of encompasses what's deep in my heart. That's why I'm, I, just, I just, it's so of God that we sang that song. I'd forgotten about that song. But it's so of God that we sang that song. We're going to continue looking at Colossians this morning. We've looked at it over the last couple of weeks. And now we're on chapter 3. Let me just say this to you again. You'll get fed up with me saying this, but I'm going to keep on saying this because I think this is really, really important. Go away and read the book for yourself. Go away and read the chapters that we're preaching on for yourself. Go away and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you from those chapters and from those scriptures. Because we cannot do them justice. There is not enough time on a Sunday morning to unpack the whole of Colossians chapter 3. 
There wasn't enough time last Sunday to unpack chapter 2 and there wasn't enough time the Sunday before to unpack chapter 1. All we're doing is giving you a flavour, an aroma, a sense of what's in there. And so I say again, go away. Make it your plan. And you will see how this ties in with what I feel God's put on my heart for this morning. But make it your plan. Make it one of those good ideas that you do to help you in your walk with the Lord. We believe that the Lord has spoken to us and said, let's preach on this stuff. We spend our time on, on, on our knees, doing carpet time, as one guy put it, and, and, and seeking God for what we should say. And that means God has something to say. I don't believe God would put it on our hearts if he didn't have something to say. But it also means we are not going to say everything from this pulpit. So go away and read it. Read chapter 3 of Colossians for yourself. I think it's a brilliant chapter. Let's read through. Have we got um, got the doodah? Let me see. Yeah, let's turn it on let's see what happens. I think it might help if that was in. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear, technology, eh? All right, let's try again. Yeah, that beeped. Yes, excellent. So let's read through this. I want to read, I actually want to read Colossians 3, 1 to 17. I am going to be preaching probably from Colossians 3, 1 to 4. <laughs> um, and as I say, there is so much in this chapter. There was so much in the previous chapter as well. But let's, let's go through this. Since you have been raised to, to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, the evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, uh, malicious behaviour, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. 
Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive one another and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray. Father, speak to us from your word now. Pour your anointing upon your word. Lord, that it will do what you have promised and accomplish all that you've sent it to do. In your name, amen. Before I get into what I want to well, no, because I want to get into what I want to say, I just want to, first of all, take a few minutes just to look at what this letter is about as a whole. I want us just to sort of pause for a minute before we dive into some stuff. It, it's, on, it, 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 it's the base on which everything's built. But in this letter, I believe Paul, he's writing to the Colossians. He's written this letter because he wants to, he wants to speak to them. He, he recognizes that they face, they face two issues in their life, in their lives as a, as, as a people, as a church. He recognizes there's two issues. If you look first of all at Colossians 3 uh, verse 5, Yep, yep, that's it there. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. I love that, that phrase there. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshipping the things of this world. I believe the first thing that Paul was trying to say to these people uh, uh, in, in, in Colossae was, hey guys, be careful. They lived in a society that was so syncretic that their Christian faith was, was merging, was being merged with, with legalism from the Judaic faith and also all this other stuff, the Greek stuff, all the Greek faith and gods and all the rest of it. There was a real pressure upon the church in Colossae. And Paul was saying, hey guys, recognize this pressure. There is a very real pressure on you. A pressure to immorality. You are being shaped, you're being squeezed, you're being pressed into taking on the morality of the society in which you live. Hey, that rings some bells, doesn't it? What are we facing in today's society? Excuse my language here, but I find it hard to walk down the street and know what to do with my eyes sometimes with the clothes that I see women wearing. Literally displaying everything they have to display. Our society says that's fine. What do we see on our televisions? What is the, what is the morality of our society that is being pressed upon us? 
immorality is a pressure today, just as it was back when Paul wrote this to the Colossians. Then he goes on, there's a second point, there's a second thing that he wants to speak to them about and say is dangerous. And we find that in, in chap, going back to chapter 2, uh, where, where John was preaching from uh, last week, verse 18, it says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Compromise, immorality and compromise. We're being faced with a moral issue in our country at the moment. And it is very difficult for us to stand out and speak against it. We are being faced with a compromise issue. We are not allowed to speak about God in certain places. Teachers are not allowed to share their faith in schools. I've been watching, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen the God's Not Dead uh, films? How many have seen the God's Not Dead films? One or two. How many have seen more than just the first one? One or two. In the second film, it's interesting. I mean, John and I were talking about this the other day and we wondered how long they could carry on doing these, these types of films. But there is something in that second film that I felt was, was a real challenge. And as I was watching the film, um, I found I, I, it was in the credits at the end of the film. Yes, there were some other things that I thought about during the film, but it was in the credits at the end of the film. And suddenly I noticed there was this whole long list of schools going past in this list. And it turns out there's over 40, 50 odd schools with teachers who were taken to court because they spoke about Jesus in the classroom. Do you know what? That isn't just in America. I had one of these. One of these has come through to the church. It's from the Christian Institute. And they sent a letter through to us saying, can you write to the House of Lords, please? Because currently there is going through um, the House of Lords a debate to criminalise so-called conversion therapy. Now, we've heard about it before. But the Christian Institute says this, if you read their letter, this is part of what they say. They, they, they say the bill is not about stopping abuse. Abuse is already illegal. Instead, it creates a new speech crime targeting people who believe that gender identity is not real. Absolutely. I'm sorry, but I agree. Gender identity isn't real. You can't decide whether you're a man or a woman. I'm afraid your genes and your cells Mark that out pretty definitively, let alone the other stuff that comes. Gender identity is not real, or that homosexual sex is wrong. Well, again, I'm sorry, but the Bible tells me that it's wrong. It is very broad. It has no protections for parents or for the ordinary work of churches. It will be disastrous for free speech and gospel freedoms. You see, these things, we face these pressures. We face these pressures in our society. Sorry if I keep fiddling with this, but it keeps pinging off. We face these pressures in our societies. We face pressures today. You and I face pressures to compromise and actually sometimes even to have our, our fundamental um, you know, fundamental morality challenged. 
In this letter, Paul wants to encourage the Colossians to stand. I believe that's what God is saying to us today. The world that we face, we've prayed for it this morning as well. The world that we face is a world that needs us as the church of God to stand firm and not be cowered by it. That's sort of the story in the God's, in, in, in the God's Not Dead films. But, I mean, they're, they're stories. They're, 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 they're maybe rooted in some, some truth, but they're not actual. God is calling us to stand. Paul's argument, I believe, can be summed up in this, and it's again, it's not actually from my, my chapter, it's back from your chapter again, John, but I believe that this is almost like the, the nail that hangs, that, that the whole book hangs on. Because I believe what Paul is wanting to do is, is to encourage these people, and it says in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, it says, and now, just as you accepted Christ, Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. And then it says, verse 7, Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built upon him. And I think that is the core of what it is. If we look back, Barry spoke chapter 1, infinity and beyond. And we were reminded about Jesus. We were looking at Jesus. Barry had this wonderful illustration about infinity and numbers 0 to 1. I thought it was really good. I'm not sure how many other people did. But his, his argument really was that there are infinite possibilities between 0 and 1. For example, there are infinite possibilities between here and my home. I can split the difference in half. I can split it into quarters. I can split it into eight sixteenths, thirty seconds. I can split it down to miles. I can break it down into centimeters. I can break it down into millimeters. I can break it down into micrometers. Hey, and I can keep on breaking it down. There is infinity between here and my house. There is an infinity of possibilities. And that's what Barry was saying last week. Between zero and one, yes, you can split it in half and all the rest of it, but actually there is in, you cannot say how many steps there are between zero and one. Why is that important? Well, he also went on to use this, and I love this, <laughs> this little illustration. He said, we can comprehend how many pips there are in an apple, quoting another person but we cannot comprehend how many apples there are in the pip. Because one apple has more than one pip, but one pip can bear many, many, many apples, which can in turn bear many, many, many trees. And suddenly it's beyond imagination. We don't have a problem living with infinity in life. It's part of everyday life. In fact, I was listening to a program on the television over these last few days, about gravity, and part of it was talking about time, and it's all linked, the whole thing is linked. God lives in infinity. God is the creator of all things. What does Paul say in this, in this, in this book? He says, pursue God, pursue Jesus, root into him. Why is this important? Because Jesus came as a man. That is found, Colossians 1.15, it says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He, extend, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. 
He existed, but he was a man. He was Jesus. It's like zero and one. We get some understanding of God because of Jesus, because God is revealing himself through Jesus. And we can see the man, Jesus. We can understand that. But it goes on to say, in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, it then goes on to say, for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, etc., etc. We have the infinity of God, and yet we have a man that we can understand. I believe God is saying that reality, learning to live with the ununderstandable, the, the fact that we cannot understand God because he is, he is the creator of all things, and yet we can see God revealed to us in Jesus Christ, helps us live with those things that we cannot understand and the things that we cannot do. And I believe Paul is saying, that is where our hope is. Our hope is rooted in Christ Jesus. Because he is not only man, he is God. And he is not a bit of God, he is God. He's fully God, just as the Father is fully God and the Holy Spirit is fully God, Jesus is fully God. And when we have the Spirit living within us, we have God living within us. Not a little bit of God that fits in us. No, God doesn't fit in me. I fit in Him. And then we had John in last week. Where's your focus? I love those glasses, John. I still, the steampunk glasses, they were the ones. I still can't see how you could see out of them. The challenge was there about not getting sidetracked. And I believe what Paul is saying, and then we'll come, we'll come to chapter 3 in a minute and look at what Paul's saying, because I believe chapter 3 is ultimately very practical. But Paul is saying, hey, look, God, Jesus, it's rooted in Jesus. Hey, that's the reason we call this series Rooted in the Truth. It's all rooted in Jesus. Hey, Jesus, Jesus is God. And then he's, he brings the challenge, where are you looking? Look, these are the things that are pressuring you. These are the things around you that are pressing your life. You need to be rooted in Christ. The question then comes, how? How do we get rooted? How are we rooted in Christ? And let me move that on. I didn't go to Colossians 2, 6-7. And it says there, Now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Again, let your roots go down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Let you and I, we have a responsibility in there. Don't get too hung up on that in a moment. Oh, I don't know. I don't know whether I've got the power to do that. Don't get too hung up on that. I'll come back to that in a moment. We have a responsibility. Let. Let your roots go down into him. Let your lives be built upon him. Be rooted in Christ. But how? And that brings me for my topic this morning. <laughs> I'm not sure whether that was the intro or not. I don't think it was an intro. I think it was an important part of what I felt God wanted to say. We need to put off and we need to put on. We need to, as another way, another version says, we need to throw off and we need to put on. 
he starts this chapter with, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven. I said it was practical. He's not bringing some theological argument here. He's just saying, hey, you guys, get with the program. You've set your heart on God. You've been raised to new life in Christ. It's happened. You've given your life to Christ. Okay, so now here's what you do. Set your sights on. Deal with it. Where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. He's so practical. But he doesn't leave it there. Because in, in verse 2 he says, Think about. So how do I set my heart on those things? You think about them. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Sit. Simple. Not always easy. But you just got to think about them. You've got to make them a priority in your life. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life, your real life, is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, wow, my faith is not what I do, it's who I am. This is who I am. Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world. You will share in his glory. What do we demonstrate in baptism? We demonstrate dying to the old, rising to the new. If you're a Christian and if you've been baptized, that's why baptism is important, because it's part of demonstrating the reality of what's happened in your life. And it's also part of helping you and me and us to remind ourselves that is what we're going, because we have to count ourselves dead to this world. Paul, in almost similar language, actually says this in Ephesians as well. He says, since you have heard. And it's like he's saying the same thing to the Ephesians. Since you've heard about Jesus and have um, learned the truth that he came, uh, that he, uh, the truth that he uh, comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on the new nature created by God. Let me just demonstrate something. I, I came prepared for this this morning. Um, let's pretend that this morning, excuse me getting undressed, let's just pretend this morning that I woke up, I got up early, which I did, I put my dressing gown on, which I did, and I went downstairs and I made myself a coffee and I put my sermon on the table, which I did, and um, I started reading, I started thinking, and I started praying. And then Sharon said, come on, it's time, we've got to go, we've got to go to church. And um, I thought, oh, I'll go in my dressing gown. That's all right, I won't bother. I'll just, a dressing gown's fine, it's warm. I'm not showing anything I shouldn't be showing, can't see my underpants or anything, can you, sir? No, that's fine, I'll, I'll just go in my dressing gown, that'll be fine. No, maybe I can't do that, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just put a shirt on. Let's just put my shirt on. Yeah, here we go. Oh, I can't get my shirt on properly. What? Oh, for goodness sake. Oh, now it's all bunched up inside. Oh, oh, I knew that would... Oh, that's not working. Okay, I'm ready to preach. Don't work, does it? I mean, it's a stupid illustration, I suppose, but 
I think it does make the point. You know, we have to put off. Scripture says put off the old things. Put them off. Cast them aside. And then, I'm not sure that I look much more handsome this way around, but still. Put on. Put on righteousness. Put on the things of God. Don't try and add them. And this is the problem. This was the problem that was happening in Colossae. They weren't putting off and putting on. They were trying to add. They were trying to mix the two together. And this is the problem that we have in our society. Society does not want us to stand out and be out there and, 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 and firm for Christ. It wants us to just morph, to fade, to disappear, to try and put on... Yes, you can keep your Christian stuff, but ah, you've got you to you hang on to all that other stuff. That, I believe, is what Paul is saying. You can't do that. You have to throw it off. Look at this, this passage here. Let me say it again. Since you have heard, throw off your old sinful nature. And then in, in verse 1, just to, to show the link between the two, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits. We need to make sure, as, as John said last week, we need to make sure where our focus is. But we need to focus. Because if we try and keep the old stuff going and put the new stuff on, it becomes farcical. At best. And at worst, we lose our joy, we lose our peace, we lose the presence of God, everything, and, and we're just walking away from where God wants us to be. Because he wants us to be filled with his spirit and filled with him. Set your minds. Paul is so practical. Set your minds. Focus your thoughts. Here, practically. So what are we saying? Think about him. Think about Jesus. Rejoice in him. Talk to him. Pray. Read about him. Focus your love on Jesus. Obey him. Make sacrifices. Put in place things that mean that you will do these things. Sometimes, you know, the pressure of life can get so much in the way. In that God's Not Dead film, there was, uh, in, in the version 2, there was a bit where the lady who was actually being, was losing a job because of what she had said, was asked by her, her lawyer, you know, why? Why, why, what made you, what made you do what God wants to do? You know, what, what happened? And, um, she said, God asked her a question. Who do you say I am? He then went on to use that in the, in the court case later on. Won't say anymore in case you haven't seen it. You can watch it. But the point is, who do you say you uh, I am? And her answer to that question is really what shaped her actions. And I just felt the Lord saying this morning. He'd, he'd been saying it to me during the week, and I've been thinking about it and praying about it and just just pondering it. But who do you say I am? The Lord's been saying that to me. Who do I say He is? He's my Lord, my Savior, my Master, my Healer, my Friend, my Comforter. He's so many things to me. How can I not? How can I not let him shine through me if I call him the son of the living God? I want to ask a question. Do you have a real passion for the Lord? Where are you? If you don't, 
then there could be one of three things that is the issue here. One, it could just be that you are distracted by the things of this world, like the Colossians, the pressure of life, the pressure of society, the pressure of who, where, and what, what we listen to, what we're playing on the television, what the programs we listen to, even some of the stuff that we watch on YouTube, and I'll tell you some weird stuff comes up there. But even the television, even listening to books, all of that, maybe we're just getting distracted. Maybe that immorality that's trying to squeeze it into its, its mold to say that right is wrong. Maybe the compromise that is trying to make us shut up and not stand up and not speak about who we are because actually it's not politically correct to do it in schools. Because we just might be trying to force somebody and somebody just might feel a little bit bad about it. But hey, Christ is my, is my life. I've set my sights on him. Set your sights on him. Put off the old nature. Put on the new. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. Remember again Ephesians 4:23 and it says let the spirit renew your thoughts. This putting off and putting on I said I'd come back to this. We don't have to do this on our own. We have the Holy Spirit's strength and help to do this. Remember the dress the, the, the dressing gown? I had to take it off. We are not alone. Let me give you quickly three practical points. Set yourself reminders. This is practical. If you're feeling pressed and squeezed by society, you're not feeling particularly on fire for God, you want more in your life, you want more of Christ in your life, just put some reminders on your phone. Let the phone bing at you every two, three hours. And when it does, instead of it being because there's a YouTube or there's some other thing that's come up on your phone, put a different sound on there so that when it does bing at you, you can go, I'll think about you, Lord. And you just spend a few moments thinking about him, thanking him. Set that through the day. Practical thing. I promise you, these aren't rules. These are just ideas. But they can become habits. Soon you won't need the bing on the phone. You will just stop every now and again and thank God for him. Eliminate what feeds the earthly mindset. That's a challenge. There's so much in our lives that we enjoy doing. Not all of it is evil and sinful. It just takes us away. Challenge, what sacrifices are we willing to make? Eliminate what feeds the earthly mindset. Practical stuff. Lastly, third one, learn to look for Jesus everywhere. Oh, that's so obvious, isn't it? When you eat, give him thanks. When you, when you arrive safely, give him thanks. When you drive on, off to go somewhere, ask him for his protection. When you get up in the morning, give him thanks. When you go through your day and just something happens, or if you suddenly have a thought, then give him thanks for it. When you read a good story or see a good film, hey, then we need to be careful what we're reading and what we're watching. But when you do, give him thanks. Think about him. Listen to what he's saying to you. When you love somebody, thank him for them. When somebody does something loving to you, thank him for it. When you talk to someone, say something about him. Practical, simple. Second, if you don't have a passion for the Lord, then maybe you need to believe. 
John Barry, in his first preach, said, faith is trusting God when you have unanswered questions. And I thought that was quite, quite good. It is trusting in the Lord. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. It's been promised. But remind yourself of who he is. He raised you from the dead. He gave you new life. He says that you are dead to sin and your life is completely secure in him. Put off the old, put on the new. Believe. Act on your faith. Set your sights on him. And thirdly, if you don't have a passion for God, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, what on earth is he talking about? You may be or you may not be. Or you may be here thinking, hmm, I'm not sure, I've been thinking about this. But you're not. You haven't given your life to Christ. You haven't asked him in. You haven't repented of your sin. You haven't given Jesus the right to tell you what he wants in your life. Then you haven't been raised and you're not going to have a passion for God. You need to put off the old and put on the new. Why? Why do I say you need to ask Christ into your life? And you can do that this morning. There'll be an opportunity in a few moments. But why do I say that's important? Why? Because God loves you. God loves you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your confidant. He wants to be, be your peace. And he wants to be your joy. He wants to bring... He, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will help you. He will protect you. He will take away your sin. He will take away the fear of death and guilt because he died for you. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again that you might have life. John 3.16, he loves you so much that he sent his only son, only begotten son, to die for you so that you can have life and have it in abundance. And the Bible goes on to say that Jesus rose again and conquered sin and death for you. That's why, if you don't have a passion for God, if you're questioning, if you're asking questions, you can, you can talk to God this morning, you can talk to Jesus this morning, and you can tell him that you will follow him. And the final thought, my final thought for this morning, is that Jesus is enough. The reality of faith in Jesus is this. My faith in the Lord is not just about forgiveness. It is about transformation. And that's what God wants to do. Change our hearts and change our actions. Let me give the last word back to Paul. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong and strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. I'm going to, I'm going to pray. I want us all to bow our heads. If you're in any one of those places, I'm just going to pray for you. And I just want you to make this, this prayer yours. And I want you to trust and believe for God to change your situation. If you're feeling in your life, you're actually feeling that you're, you're far from him, you don't, 
You don't have that passion for him. You're feeling distracted. Father God, I just pray for those in the room this morning who are feeling distracted by life. I pray, Lord, this morning may not have been a guilt-laden talk, but it will be an encouragement, a challenge, a spur to press into you. A realization that there are things that we can do, that they can do, and a realization that the Holy Spirit is there to enable them to come and focus on you and to push their roots down into you. I pray, Lord, that you will help them to put things into their lives that will bring habits, that bring that bring us closer, bring them closer to you. Lord, I pray that for them. And the second group, Lord, the, the, the group that, that doesn't have faith, I pray, Lord, help them to recognize that they have your Holy Spirit living within them, that God is in them and that God will work through them and that you have promised to work through them. You've promised to, to teach them and to grow them by your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that you will stir faith in them, but more than that, that you will stir courage to step out in faith. And I pray that for those. And this final group, Lord, I just pray now. If you're in that final group and you haven't asked Christ into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you, I don't, you don't need to pray it out loud, but I want you to pray that prayer in your heart to God, meaning it. And then you will need to talk to somebody after the meeting. And you can come to somebody, one of the leaders, somebody up on the stage here, whatever, talk, let them know what you've done so that then we can pray with you and we can help you. But you can do that this morning right now. You can make that decision that you are going to give your life to God. I can't promise that nothing will ever go wrong in your life again afterwards if you do. What I promise you is that you will never be on your own ever again. You will never have to make decisions without having somebody that you can talk to, even when you are totally alone of any other human being. You will have God with you and you'll have the Holy Spirit living in you. He will bring his peace, he will bring his life, he will bring eternity into your life, but he will also be with you to comfort you and help you. And he will take away all your sin and all your guilt. So if you want to pray that prayer, just as I pray this, just make it your own. Father God, I come to you this morning. I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that I need your forgiveness in my life. And I ask you for it. Lord Jesus Christ, I accept that you died on the cross for me. And that was enough. And I accept that you rose again so that I might have life. And I might have a new life in you. That I might be rooted in you. I thank you for that and I accept that. Father, Lord Jesus, will you forgive me? I confess my sin and I ask for your forgiveness. I want to follow you. Come into my life, I pray, and make me a new person. This I ask of you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.